Morning. How are we doing this morning? Good. Uh, we've been traveling through the book of Acts, if you uh, have not been with us. Uh, this makes week 17, and uh, if you're not already turned there, go ahead and turn to uh, chapter 8. Uh, the, the book of Acts is about mission. This is what we've said from the very beginning. The book of Acts is about God's mission to take the good news of what Jesus Christ has done and see that spread throughout the whole world. Okay, that, that's, that's the mission. God takes people, he uses people as his instruments, as his tools to spread this message of the gospel, uh, to, to see people's lives change and transformed, to see those people then unite in a local church and continue to preach that good news. What's that good news? I'm glad you asked. The good news is that God has sent his son, Jesus. Jesus has come and he has stepped into human history. God has called us ask us, challenged us, demanded of us that we obey him. The problem is all of us fail at that. So Jesus comes and does that for us. He, he lives a perfect and sinless life for us. And then the punishment that should rightfully come to us because we are sinners doesn't come to us. It goes to Jesus on the cross. So we can be united to God. We can be friends with God. We can have a relationship with God. We can live a life with God because of what Jesus has done. That's good news. Amen. We can be set free from sin. We can be set free from shame. We can be set free from these things, from the bondage of sin because of what Jesus Christ has done. So what God's mission is, is to take that good news of what Jesus has done and see that spread throughout the whole world to see those people then united in a church and living out this mission together. That, that's what the book of Acts is all about. It's about God's mission. So we have seen... The New Testament church begin and take off like a rocket. The, the New Testament church begins in Jerusalem, 120 people, then 3,000 people, then 5,000 people, then 20,000 people. And, and this thing just grows and grows and grows as more people hear this good news about Jesus. They have their lives transformed. Um, then they preach some more and more people hear about Jesus and then they preach more and it keeps on going and growing. In addition, what we've seen thus far is we have seen Satan then go on the attack and try to destroy this massive movement of God. Satan began with persecution, didn't he? They, they began to persecute these people who said that they were Christ followers. After that, Satan's second line of attack was to try to attack the integrity of the church and, and, and try to get the people in the church to live hypocritically. You remember that story uh, about Ananias and, and Sapphira? So, so he tried to get them to live hypocritically, and so God struck those people down and, and actually made the church more pure. Right? And, and then Satan launched another attack to, to try to get the church leaders and the people in the church distracted. And all of those attacks and schemes of the devil have, have just kind of come right back at him. Everything that he's tried just blows up in his face. And so now what we're going to see again today is he's going to go back to plan one. Plan one was persecution, right? And so we've seen him go back to try to persecute the church to stop this forward mission, to try to stop this um, ex expanding of the gospel. So 
Um, last week, if you were not here, again, this is just by way of catching you up. Last week, if you were not here, a man named Stephen was arrested and brought before the Council of Leaders. Again, they want to crush the, this movement. They want to stop Christianity from expanding out. Um, so they bring Stephen before the council. Stephen uh, preaches a very lengthy sermon. At the end of it, he indicts them and says, um, you killed Jesus he said, you sent him to death just like you've killed all the other prophets. You killed this prophet. And, and he, he puts their, the blood on their hands, even though, um, if you remember, you, you remember when, when they bring Jesus before Pilate and, and, and they're trying to get him to convict him. And Pilate washes, he, he says, I wash my hands of this. And what do the people say? They say, let his blood be on who? Us and our children. So Stephen just brings that back up. They don't like that very much. They stop their ears. They rush and grab Stephen. They drag him out of the city, uh, and they throw rocks at him until he dies. That, that's what we saw. So there's been a massive uh, persecution against the church, but here's the good news for us. The church is, and I've said this before, and I want to keep saying it, the church is an unstoppable movement with an unstoppable message. The, the church is an unstoppable movement. I mean, they, Satan has done everything that he can to stop it, and it's unstoppable. You can't stop the growth and the movement of the church. Even here in the United States to where church attendance is, is uh, getting smaller and smaller and smaller, that, that doesn't mean the church is not growing. Look at places like China. Look at places like Africa. Look at all over the world, the church is still growing. So if we're not faithful to love and serve and, and grow the church, God's just going to keep growing it. It's unstoppable. You can't stop it. And the reason is, is because it has an unstoppable message that we can be forgiven of our sins and be reconciled to God through the blood of Jesus Christ through faith in him. That's the unstoppable message. So, what we're going to see today is that continuing on. The great thing is that the mission continues today, okay? Meaning you um, can be a part of what God is doing. Um, here's what I mean. God's mission is still going. God uses people um, to complete his mission, to complete his purposes, okay? You're a person, therefore, you have a purpose, you guys aren't excited about that. I'm, I'm really excited about that. You see, because what Acts does is Acts answers the age-old question that every human has to answer. Why am I here? What's, what's my purpose? Every human asks that question at some point or another. What's my purpose and why am I here? And so in a way, Acts is answering that age-old question for us. What's our purpose? Why are we here? To be about God's mission. God uses people. I'm a person, therefore I have a purpose. I have a purpose in life. That's great news. People are hungry for a purpose and they're hungry for direction in their lives. It's, it, it's what the human soul yearns for. It's what we ask. Why am I here? What am I for? What, what does this all mean? Let me ask you a question. You ever wonder why dudes play paintball? Why? Do, it's a silly game, right? Just think about it. Why do they do that? I mean, grown men dress up in camouflage. They run around a field and shoot each other with tiny little balls filled with paint. Does that, does that sound strange to anybody? 
Or why do uh, people play uh, video games like World of Warcraft and, and, and these, these type things? Why are, why are we, <laughs> why do we do weird stuff like that? Because deep inside of our soul, we want a mission. Deep inside of us, we want to be a part of something. We, we want to be in a group of people achieving a goal. We, we want to be together moving forward doing something. It, it, it's ingrained in who we are. We want a purpose. We want direction. We want that. And so God says that the great news about the gospel is we can be a part of God's mission and have a purpose in our lives. You see, one of humanity's greatest problems is that we don't know who we are or what we are made for. So why are men violent to women? Because we don't know who we are and we don't know what we're made for. Why do we lie? Why do we cheat? Why do we gossip? Why do we steal things? Because humanity fails to answer the question, who am I and what am I made for? You see, the, the man who answers, I'm a child of God on God's mission, if he answers it that way, he's not a violent man. He's not an angry man anymore. The, the, the woman who answers, I'm a daughter of a king on the king's mission, then she doesn't have to gossip. And those things are, she didn't have to lie and things like that. But when we fail to answer the question correctly, who am I? And what am I made for? Then we end up being on a path that is purposeless and directionless. Directionless people are destructive people. They are prone to entropy, meaning they gradually decline into disorder or deliberate corruption. This is what happens when we don't have direction in our life, when we don't have a purpose, when, 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 there's, when, when there's nothing going on. We slowly or gradually decline into destructiveness or because we don't have direction, we don't have purpose, we just go straight to corruption. I mean, why do people lose their minds in college? <laughs> I'm the only one? Okay, it's okay. Just no direction, no purpose. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know where I'm going. Somebody help me. I'm losing my mind. But the good news is God steps in and gives a purpose to our lives, an unstoppable purpose with an unstoppable message so we can be united with him. The gospel is good news because it saves us from sin and to a life of purpose. I am a child of God, loved by God, and sent out to do the king's work. That's awesome. You guys still aren't as excited as I am about it. Okay, so what are you doing to spread the gospel? If this is our purpose, if this is what we're made for, if God takes directionless people and gives them a direction, if God takes purposeless people and gives them a purpose, the purpose being to glorify God by spreading his good news, okay, what are you doing to spread the gospel? Are you building intentional relationships with coworkers, with friends, with family in order to share that gospel with them, to share the good news, to bring more people into the kingdom? You see, here is my whole sermon today. Jesus' mission will go forward, and it's what we really want. 
Jesus' mission is going to go forward. We're going to see today just great persecution. We're going to see people try to crush the church. We're going to see this guy start killing Christians. But Jesus' mission just continues to go forward. I mean, it, it's unstoppable. It just keeps on going. And it's what our soul really wants to be a part of. It's what we really want. So as humans, we grasp out for everything that there is. We grasp out for money. We grasp out for power and control and relationships. And I just want somebody to need me. I want somebody to love me. I want to be a part of something. That's what our, our soul is saying. And, and God says, yeah, it, be a part of my mission. It's what your soul really wants. So that's my whole sermon today. Jesus' mission will go forward. And, and it's what you really want. It's what your soul really wants to be a part of. So, uh, one, here's the quick overview. Number one, we will see an unstoppable power of the gospel in an adverse situation. The church gets scattered out from Jerusalem, but the wind that scatters them only serves to fan the flame. So they get scattered out from the Jerusalem. Okay, Christians get scattered out. Um, but they just keep on preaching. Number two, we will meet Simon, who believes that what he really wants is power and adoration, okay? So he offers to buy this power to get the adoration and receives a sharp rebuke, okay? That, that's, that's where we're headed today. Let's go ahead and jump into our text. I wanna look at verses one, one through four. And Saul approved of his, Stephen's, and Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him, but Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison." Um, what Dr. Luke has done is he has already introduced us to Saul um, in chapter 7, uh, verse 58, to where they go out to stone Stephen and they lay their coats down at this man Saul's feet. And here we are introduced to him yet again. We see that he hates the church. He is ravaging the, the, the church, seeking to destroy it, seeking to um, crush it. We know that uh, it says here that he dragged off men and women, that this is the cold-blooded heart of an evil man who is willing to rip mothers away from their children and, and to stone them to death for believing in Christ. If you don't believe in the power of the gospel, just look at this man, Saul. He, he goes from being a guy who is ravaging the church, ripping mothers away from their children, to being an apostle of Jesus Christ, preaching and proclaiming the gospel. The gospel is so incredibly powerful. But here, he has not been converted yet, so he is ravaging the church. And the good news is uh, that in the next chapter, in chapter 9, the hunter becomes the hunted. But we're not there yet, so moving right along. It says that there arose on that day a great persecution on the church. So 
They stone Stephen. There his body lays lifeless in the dirt. And the leaders and the people that are there say, we want more blood. And they begin to continue to persecute the church, seeking out more Christians and killing more Christians. And so because of that, they begin to run for their lives and they, it says that they scattered all throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Here's what is incredibly awesome about that. Acts 1, verse 8. Here's what Jesus says. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all, where? Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. God took this terrible persecution that was coming against the church and he used it to see the gospel be spread and go out. Again, Satan is attacking the church. He's trying to crush the, the, this little Christian movement and God goes, oh, you're gonna scatter my people? That's fine. I'll, I'll just use it to spread my gospel because it says that they went about preaching as they were going. That, that, that's what they did. As they were going, as they were scattered out, as they're running for their lives, they're sharing the gospel with people. You, you have to imagine that conversations like this one would have occurred a lot. As the person comes into the town and, and the Christian is fleeing for their life, they go to another town and the people in that town say, hey, you're new here. I've never seen you before. And the, the, the Christian would say, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm new here. Well, what are you doing here? Why are you in this town? Well, I'm from Jerusalem. What's the matter? You don't like Jerusalem? And the Christian would say, no, I, I like Jerusalem, but um, I, I don't know if you've heard this or not, but, but they're actually killing Christians, and, and I'm a Christian. And so the person in that town would say something to the effect of, well, I mean, why wouldn't you just recant? I mean, just say that you don't believe in Jesus, or when they come knocking on your door, ask you if you're a Christian, just say no, but, you know, secretly you could just be a Christian. And, and, and the Christian would respond this way to say, I, I can't deny him. He is my master. He's my Lord. He's worth everything. All the sufferings and all the trials and all the persecution that I'm receiving, he is worth it. He's my greatest treasure. I love Jesus because he's forgiven me of my sins. And if you have faith in him, you can be saved too. That's what happened as they were going along. What's amazing about this is that their lives attested to the worth of Jesus. They were willing to leave it all for him. He was their greatest treasure. I want to ask you, friends, this morning, does your life attest to the worth of Jesus? Does your life attest to the worth of Jesus? You see, a, a lot of Christians um, essentially just show up to church on Sunday, maybe throw a little tithe in the box every now and then, but apart from that, their life doesn't show how valuable Christ is. That They don't live a radically transformed life that is all about and all for Christ. And because of that, it seems like to the outside world that Jesus isn't very important. If he were more important, you would sacrifice more for him. Instead, we sacrifice more to get ahead at our job. We sacrifice more to get a bigger house. We sacrifice more to get people to like us. Instead of sacrificing more and devoting ourselves to Christ, which attests to his very worth. So from this section of Scripture, I want you to see that we should view everything that happens in our lives as a missionary opportunity because Jesus is a judo master. 
I want you to view everything in your life as a missionary opportunity. Why? Because Jesus is a judo master. Now, if you're not familiar with judo, um, what they do is they use the opponent's energy and force against them and to achieve the purpose that they want to get. Okay, so the guy comes running at you, know, and the judo guy, he just uses that guy's momentum and force to flip him over, right? So what's happened here is Satan is coming at Jesus, and, and he just pulled a judo move on him. He, he just flipped him right over. So that means for us that everything that happens in our life, we need to ask the question, is God um, wanting to use this for a missionary opportunity? I lost my job. That's okay. Maybe God is wanting to use that for a missionary opportunity to move you to another job to meet different people to share the gospel with. Well, the house got foreclosed on. That's okay. Is God using this as a potential missionary opportunity to send you out from where you are to send you to a new place, a new town, a new city, a new house, a new neighborhood to reach people with the gospel? Well, uh, I got hospitalized. That's okay. You're surrounded by nurses and doctors who have to come see you. So you get to share the gospel with them. And they're going to come back and you can share the gospel with them again. So because Jesus is the judo master, it, it, it means that we can view things that happen in our life as missionary opportunities. And that's exactly what these people did. Look back at verse 4 again. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. That's what they did. They, they, they didn't go, I can't believe this is happening to me. This is so terrible. You know, God, if, if he were really good, if God really loved me, he wouldn't allow these terrible, bad things to happen to me. Instead, they believed God had a sovereign plan. God's in control. He's in charge. He knows way better than I do. So I'm just going to see this as a missionary opportunity to keep going, to keep telling people about Jesus. That's what they did. Verse 5. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did for unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many of them who had them and they were paralyzed and lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. So we're now introduced to Philip. You remember Philip back from Chapter 6, when they began to appoint uh, guys in the church who were filled with the Spirit and filled with wisdom, Philip was one of those guys uh, who gets appointed. And so we see him here again. We're introduced to him, and it says that he went down to a place called Samaria. Now, um, if you're a Jew, is Samaria a fun, great place to go to or an awful, terrible nightmare? <laughs> it's an awful, terrible nightmare. Jews do not want to go into Samaria. As a matter of fact, in that day, the Jews would spend an extra day or two just to travel around it so that they did not have to go through it. And if they had to go through it, Jews would carry their own utensils because they refused to eat after Samaritans. In addition, Jews hated Samaritans so much that this was a common prayer of the day. Oh God, please do not remember the Samaritans in the resurrection. 
So the Jews would pray, uh, dear God, please heal my sick camel, uh, make the harvest good. Uh, oh, and God, please do not remember the Samaritans in the resurrection, amen. They hated each other. You see, what had happened hundreds of years before is that the Assyrians had come in, they had conquered that place uh, of Samaria, and what they did is they exported a lot of the Jews uh, to a different region, and those Jews intermarried with other people, and the Jews that were still stuck in Samaria under Assyrian rule, the Assyrians brought in other conquered nations, and those Jews in Samaria, again, intermarried with people who were not Jewish. So the full-blooded Jews would look down their nose at the Samaritans and, pardon the expression, call them half-breeds. There was great racial tension between the two, and it had been raging on for hundreds and hundreds of years. In addition, if you guys remember the story uh, about the woman at the well uh, in John 4, here's what it says, John 4, 9, Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. So here comes Philip into a very difficult and challenging situation to a people that do not like him, will not welcome him. But what does it say that Philip did? It said he proclaimed the Christ to them. I know you guys don't like me. I know you guys don't want me here, but I gotta tell you about Jesus. And he tells them about Jesus. He tells them the powerful message of the gospel and people's lives are radically transformed. It says unclean spirit. I mean, he's casting out demons. He's healing people. I mean, this is a powerful message that, that is going out in a very hostile environment. So here's what I want you to see this morning. This is a simple message, but it has mighty power. It's a very simple message. He, he does it, okay, there's a lot of times when we're sharing our faith, when we're sharing the gospel, when we're trying to tell people about Jesus, that we get really hung up on the how and the when and the, okay, so I wanna tell my coworker about Jesus, but I gotta, I gotta make sure that I tell him the right way, you know, because I don't wanna offend them, so I gotta tell them the right way, and, and I gotta make sure I tell them at the right time, you know, not, not before lunch, because they're real busy, maybe after lunch, well, after lunch, they'll be, you know, kind of sleepy, so, so maybe at the end of day, well, maybe not at the end, I can't share the gospel in the end of the day because they're just trying to go home. We can get so freaked out over all of the little pieces when it's real simple. You just tell them the gospel. Just proclaim Jesus. You're a sinner. I'm a sinner. We need to be saved by Jesus. Okay? Now, one of the great theologians, Billy Hensley, once said, God made it simple, but people complicate things. God made it very simple. He says, I've chosen you for a mission. I want you to go share about Jesus with people, um, with the people that are around you, but we can get so complicated in the execution of it that we miss that it's real simple. You just, as you're going, as your life is unfolding, you just share the gospel with people. This is Jesus. I love Jesus. He saved me from my sins, and he can save you too. It's real simple. So what Philip does is he goes into a very complex environment, a very hostile environment, and he just simply shares Christ. That's it. That's all he does. No, I mean, just shares. Shares the gospel. In addition, I want you to see that God uses his people without distinction to achieve his purposes. Did you see that in, in the earlier part? It says that they were all scattered throughout the regions except the apostles, okay? 
The, the big fancy pants guys, they're in Jerusalem. Here's Philip, a lowly deacon in the church, and he goes into this city, and the whole place is turned upside down. This regular guy, not the religious professional, we're talking about just a regular guy in the church, goes in and preaches the gospel. You see, God uses his people to achieve his purposes without distinction. You don't need a, a degree in theology. You, you don't have to have the whole Bible memorized. God uses his people without distinction. Does he use the Bible scholar? Absolutely. But does he use the biblically inept? Yes, sir, he does. God uses his people without distinction. You see, I feel like if I were to ask you, what type of person does God use? I mean, to do really great things. What type of person? I feel like in that conversation, you may describe someone who is not you at all. Now, where there might be humility in that there's also a danger in believing that great things to be achieved by God are to be done by other people and not me. If you're a child of God, he loves you. He's redeemed you. He saved you, not just from sin and death, but he saved you to a mission. God wants to use you to accomplish great things, to do awesome things for his kingdom. So we can know that God uses his people, without distinction. He doesn't only use religious professionals. He, he uses his people, period, without distinction, okay? So let's jump into verses 9 through 13 where we're introduced to Simon. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when, the, uh, when they believed Philip as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued with Philip, and seeing the great signs and miracles performed, he was amazed. So, there goes Philip down into this hostile environment to spread the gospel. As he's going, as he's running, fleeing for his life, he goes into this area. He begins to preach and teach God's word. He begins to preach and teach Jesus Christ has come to save sinners. That's accompanied with mighty signs and powers and wonders. Um, and we're now introduced to this guy named Simon, and it says he was a magician. Now, um, he was not pulling rabbits out of his hat or sawing in half his beautiful assistant. That's not what this is talking about. Rather, he was performing um, signs by demonic power. He, he was that type of magician. He was a, 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 essentially a cult leader um, using demonic power to perform signs to amaze all of these people. In addition, he was saying that he was something great and people called him the great power of God. What's so amazing about this is behind all of this demonic power uh, and, and behind his Simon's big fancy robes and long white flowing beard, I'm assuming, um, but behind all of that, there was a man inside of him that just wanted people to like him. 
He, he did all of this, these great powers, all of these great things. And, and again, you got to imagine this guy. I mean, for people from the highest level to the lowest level, they love this guy. They think this guy is so awesome. He struts around town and he gets lots of adoration. Why is he doing all this stuff? Because he wants people to like him. He wants people to think he's cool. He, he wants people to call on him and ask him questions. And, oh, Simon the Great, how do I do this? Or can you help me here? And for him to be able to just give great, insightful wisdom wisdom to the people. So behind all of this, there's just something inside of him that wants to be like, that, that wants people to pat him on the back. So what happens here is Philip goes in and he, pre I want you to look at this phrase, but when they believed Philip, this is verse 12, as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized. You see, with all of the fancy tricks that Simon had, Philip's message was insanely and incredibly different. Philip had an ace up his sleeve. Philip offered the forgiveness of sins. So here's this guy, he just wants to be liked, he wants to be accepted, and, and he's doing all of these cool tricks so people will think that he's somebody great, and the people are amazed by it. Wow, that's really cool. I didn't know he could do levitation stuff. This is very interesting. And then Philip comes in, and he preaches this message that you can be forgiven of your sins, and people are going, the levitation thing is cool, but I can be forgiven of my sins? This speaks to, again, the heart of what happens on the inside of us. The, the most ardent atheist in the world, if he is honest with himself, will say, I feel guilt and shame for the bad things I've done. If he's honest with himself, I, I feel guilt and shame for the bad things I, that I've done. The, the Old Testament will talk about it in this way. The Old Testament uses the word defilement. Sin defiles us. When we sin, um, when we do things that God commands us not to do, our soul is stained and dirtied and we are defiled. But the good news of the gospel is we can be washed clean of our sin and forgiven. This is the theological term expiation. That, that our sins, your sin, your shame, the, the pain that you feel because of the things that you've done against God can be washed away and forgotten. The things that you did in college, the things that you did in your last marriage, the, the things that you said last week, all of the sins that you carry around can be washed away and washed clean by the blood of Jesus Christ. And this is the message that Philip is, is preaching and proclaiming. And the people are going, that's cool tricks and stuff, Simon, but I want to be forgiven of my sins. So this is the message that he proclaimed. Now, very interesting in the text here, it says, even Simon believed. If you can't beat him, join him, right? So it says Simon believed, and, and, and so there's Philip, he's preaching and teaching, and, and Simon comes up and says, all right, I'm in. What, what, what do I, you know, what do I need to do? So um, he, here's a little spoiler alert, okay? Just for sake of clarity, Luke is writing in a certain way to kind of leave us hanging a little bit, and, and the rest of the story is going to unfold and be revealed. So here's the spoiler alert. This is not true belief, Okay, it says he, he believed and, and was baptized and then he's kind of wondering if he's following Philip around. Uh, but I'm gonna show you when we get down to how Peter talks to him and addresses him that this wasn't true belief. It looked like he believed. He was just like Judas. 
He, he hung out with the right people. He said the right things. He walked around, but he wasn't a true believer. You see, the problem with Simon was that he wanted Jesus' stuff. He did not want Jesus. He wanted the gift. He wanted the gift. He did not want the gift giver. Let me show you that. Look back at 13. Even Simon himself believed after being baptized, he continued with Philip and seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Simon is seeing Philip perform all this, these cool miracles and, and, and what does this Simon the magician really want? We've already said that. He wants people to like him and people to accept him. So he's thinking, if I can do the stuff that Philip is doing, then people will like me again, and, and I'll be popular again, and people will, will think I'm cool again. So he's watching all of these signs. What do signs do? They point to something. He's watching all the signs and going, I want the signs. He's missing what the signs are to point to. He's looking at the sign going, I want the signs. And, and Philip is saying, no, 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 you're missing it. It's not about the signs. It's about what the signs are pointing to. So as he's healing people, that's a sign pointing to Christ, that Christ is the ultimate healer. As, as he's casting out demons, that's a sign that Jesus rules and reigns over all powers and all authorities, even demonic ones. There's signs that point to something, but what Simon is doing is going, I just want those signs. So, for us, Jesus has a lot of stuff to offer. And my question to you is, do you want Jesus' stuff or do you want Jesus? So here at this church, here are some things that you'll find. You'll find great community. That's what people say about our church. That's what I believe. I, I believe we really have done well at creating a family place to where people come in. It's like, man, I really feel like I'm part here. That's great. And that feeling of community, connection, and family is a sign. It's a sign that doesn't just point inwardly to us. Oh, it's great being a part of this church, being a part of community. I feel wanted, I feel needed, I feel accepted. But you gotta see that that's a sign pointing to Christ who loves you and you're a part of his family. The community at this church is a sign that points to Christ. Some might come into this church and say, man, I love coming to this church because the band is awesome. The band is a sign it's not just about hearing great music, but the band is a sign going, look to Christ. It's not about us or our cool sound or our cool style. It has nothing to do with that. The band is just a sign. But being here and involved in this, you can get wrapped up in the signs. You can get wrapped up in just wanting Jesus' stuff. I love the community here. I love the music here. I think the building's nice. I, I like all of Jesus' stuff. That's great. You gotta see that all of these things are signs that are pointing to Christ. Community, the music, the building, our kids' programs, all of that is just signs because we're trying to point you to Christ. So here's what I wanna say this morning. Don't miss what the signs at Gospel Community Church are pointing to. Don't miss what we're pointing to. Don't, don't walk out of the sermon today going, oh, it's a good sermon, or that was a bad sermon, or he yelled a lot today, or he looked tired today, or he looked sweaty today, whatever. Don't, don't walk out of here just looking at the sign. I want you to see what I'm pointing to. I'm pointing to Christ so that your life might be transformed, so that you might know him more. 
So here's Simon looking at the sign, looking at the sign, going, I want the sign, I want the sign, right? That's like, it's like driving to Disneyland and, and getting to the sign that says you've arrived at Disneyland and just hanging on to the signpost. I've arrived, I'm here. And, and without ever actually experiencing what the sign is pointing to, heaven forbid we not lift our eyes from the sign and see what it's pointing to. Simon missed what the sign was pointing to. King Jesus, who would have given Simon purpose and direction in his life. But Simon, Simon missed it. And we're going to see that in this next section. Verse 14. Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit for he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Let's pause for a moment. Okay. Here we go. Um, have you ever been telling a story, uh, and somebody keeps asking questions in, about your story, and they totally miss the point? Okay, so, so you're like, man, I was at the store the other day and I found $5. And the person goes, well, what store were you at? Well, I was at, I was at JCPenney. Oh, what time of day was it? I think it was like 5 o'clock. Um, oh, well, what was the weather like outside? No, you don't understand. The point of the story is I found $5. So stop asking questions, okay? <clears throat> so what's happening here? Um, Luke is explaining to us what's happening. He's setting up um, the, the, the what's happened in the story because what he wants to do is get to the part where Simon tries to buy the power from the apostles. Okay, so, so he has to explain to us what power Simon is trying to buy. So Luke just plainly tells us uh, they had believed in Jesus and been baptized, but they had not been uh, filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit hadn't fallen on them yet, so the apostles show up. Peter and John show up to check out this thing that's happening in Samaria. Uh, they, Peter and John lay their hands on uh, these people, and they receive the Holy Spirit, and then Simon offers to buy it, so on and so forth. So that's the point he's trying to get, but there are tons of questions here, right? There's a lot of questions. At Gospel Community Church, we believe at your conversion, when you get saved, you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. One and done, okay? We, we do not believe in a second baptism. We believe that when you become a Christian, in that very decisive moment, um, you are brought into the family of God and are filled with the Spirit. Now, what's so curious here is that's not what happens. These people believe and are baptized in Jesus, but they got no Spirit, no Holy Spirit to be seen. Where's the Holy Spirit? We don't know. Then these guys show up, lay hands on them. Now they got the Holy Spirit, okay? Um, so there, there are a lot of questions here. What, what's, questions are, what's happening? Is this a two-stage initiation? I mean, you're saved and then later get the Spirit. And bigger question, should we seek this today? Or is this even possible? Now, my Pentecostal brothers would say that we should be seeking this today, uh, my Roman Catholic brothers would say we should be seeking this today. 
They, they preach and believe in a, essentially a two-stage initiation uh, to where you believe in Christ and are, and, and are baptized, um, and then later on there's a filling, a secondary subsequent to salvation, a filling of the Spirit. Uh, the Roman Catholics will, will preach and teach that um, they, they must, as kind of in the line of the apostles, they must lay their hands on you so that you can then receive the Spirit. Okay, now, Here's what I want, again, I'm gonna go through this really quickly. If you have more questions about this, please come talk to me after the service. Again, this is not the point of the story, so I'm going fast through here, okay? So, again, in the book of Acts, there are prescriptive texts and descriptive texts. In the book of Acts, there are prescriptive texts, meaning this is what you're supposed to do. It's prescribing something, okay? Go and do likewise. In addition, in Acts, there are descriptive texts, meaning that it's going to describe what happened as a unique instance, okay? Not a go and do likewise. Prescriptive, descriptive. What I'm submitting to you is that this section of Scripture is a descriptive text. I want to give you a couple reasons why. Number one, this was not the apostles' normal teaching, this was not the apostles' normal teaching. I'm going to read this to you. If you want to write this down, you can. Acts 2, verse 38. And Peter said to them, okay, this is Peter's sermon. Okay, this is Peter here who's doing the secondary laying on of hands thing. But, but listen to his sermon that he's already preached. And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. One and done. That's what Peter has already preached that. Okay, he's preached Believe in Jesus, you get the Spirit. It's one thing. You don't have to wait. I don't have to lay hands on you. It, it, it's a one and done thing. In addition, the Apostle Paul says this, in Romans 8, verse 9. Romans 8, verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Listen to this. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Meaning, the ones that belong to him have his Spirit. It's not a secondary thing. It's not a, I belong to Christ, but I don't have his spirit, and I have to wait and get the second baptism or have to have somebody lay their hands on me so then I can get the spirit. If you belong to Christ, you have his spirit. Holy Spirit indwells you, period, paragraph, okay? So again, that begs the question, what's happening here? Again, I'm going very fast. This is the first time since Jesus' ascension that we see the gospel proclaimed outside of Jerusalem, so this is a unique event, the gospel is expanding outside of Jerusalem. It's a very unique event, so we see a unique application of the Spirit. Number two, uh, that was number one, that this is a unique event because this is the first time outside of uh, Jerusalem, okay? Number two, there was great potential for another problematic divide. You remember the problematic divide from chapter six where the Hellenists and the Jews, they don't like each other? What would happen if the Samaritans receive the gospel, receive the spirit, and the Jews are over here, and their church is growing, and the Samaritan church is growing, they never have to come together, right? But what I believe God is doing here is God delayed the spirit for a moment so that it would be bestowed on them by the apostles to show fellowship and solidarity between the Jews and the Samaritans. At a huge turning point in the mission, something exceptional was needed. Listen to this. this. This is what's important. God's plan was not only for them to find Christ, but for them to find each other. Okay? So I'll close this section out by uh, this quote from John Stott. Uh, th this might be helpful. These things, he's referring to this kind of second coming of the Spirit here. 
These things have no precise parallels in our day because there are no longer any Samaritans or any apostles of Christ. Because we are not Samaritans, we receive forgiveness and the Spirit together the moment we believe. Okay, again, if you've got questions about that, please, please come talk to me. I, I want to get to uh, uh, Simon's request here. Verse 18. Now, when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, uh, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of the wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, Pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Now, when they had uh, testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. Okay, um, so all these great signs and wonders are, are, are happening by the, by the hands of the apostles. The apostles show up, they lay hands on people, they receive the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and Simon goes, how much? How, how much do, do I have to pay you to be able to do that? Missing the point that you cannot buy the gifts and the graces of God. What, what are you gonna pay him with? He owns everything. So he tries to buy the, the gifts and the grace of God. He offered them money saying, give me this power. Again, Simon believed that power, adoration, wealth, he, he believed all of that would really fulfill and satisfy his soul. He believed that if he had this power, again, people would like him, he would continue to gain wealth, and that he would have purpose and direction in his life, and he was wrong. So Peter, in a very loving display, rebukes him. Again, he believed, Simon believed that that would really satisfy and fulfill his soul. And that was wrong. And so Peter did a very loving thing and rebuked him. And essentially, you have to understand that the strength of this rebuke from Peter, he basically says, to hell with your money. That's what he says. That it may perish with you. Where do you perish? You perish in hell. So he says, to hell with your money, you have neither lot or part in this matter. He says, for I see that you are in the gall of bitterness. Basically, he's letting him know you're not a true believer. God gave Peter spiritual insight to see that this guy really was not a Christian, and so he tells him that. You have neither lot nor part in this matter, the matter of being a Christian. He said, you're not saved. You're pretending. You don't really believe on Jesus. People, this is terrifying. This should be terrifying to us. Oftentimes, I think one of the greatest challenges in my ministry, and I think the ministry in the South, I think the ministry in most of the Western world is convincing people that they're really not saved. We grew up in a place and a time to where everybody's a Christian. It's just what good folk are and it's what, good, I mean, good people go to church and what do you believe? Well, I'm a Christian. Yet there is no fruit in our life. There is no radical transformation in our life. It's something that we just say that we are. 
And so I want to ask you today, do you love Jesus? Do you want Jesus? Do you want to be part with Jesus? Do, do you want to be on Jesus' mission? Are you willing to lay your life down for the cause of Christ? Because that's what it means to be saved. It says, take up your cross. Take up your cross and follow me. That's what it means. It's not a silly club that we're a part of. It's not just showing up to church on Sunday. It's not just saying a prayer. It's not just going down front. It's not just marking a card, but it's a life lived for Christ. Simon wanted Jesus stuff. He didn't want Jesus. That was the problem. My question is, do you love Jesus? Do you want Jesus? Do you want a life with him, for him, serving him? That's what it means to be saved. Look at this last verse. Now when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. After this whole scene of it began with the gospel being preached and the gospel going forward, it began with Jesus' mission going on. There's this little snapshot of this guy Philip going into this town and preaching and this crazy magician guy and all this weird stuff happens and it concludes with the forward progression of the gospel. The gospel is gonna keep on going. It's an unstoppable movement with an unstoppable message. It keeps on going. So what does Simon do? He gets rebuked by Peter and Peter says, repent, man. Repent, you are in the gall of bitterness. Repent to God, maybe you'll get saved, and then you can have a life of purpose and be on mission with us because we're going to other towns to keep on preaching. How does Simon respond? Well, why don't you just pray for me? See that? Peter told him, you repent. And he goes, well, maybe you, you could pray to God and maybe all this bad stuff that you're talking about won't happen to me. He didn't want Jesus. He didn't want a relationship with Jesus. He just didn't want to be punished by God. So, listen to this. Listen, the mission passed him by. The mission passed him by. There, there he was right there. I mean, he was right on the, the edge of stepping into a life that meant something, a life of purpose, a life full of meaning. That's what Peter's inviting him into. He said, repent, man. You're in the gall of, come on, repent. Get on mission. Get saved and be a child of God. Have a life of purpose and meaning. And he says, ah, ah you, you pray for me. I just don't want bad stuff to happen to me. And the mission passed him by. And verse 25, the apostles leave there. They go to other towns and preach. And the mission keeps going. Is the mission passing you by? Is the mission passing you by? Are, are you sitting on the sidelines? Are you, are, are you just coming to church on Sundays? I mean, or are you really in this? Are, are, are you in, so in love with Jesus that, that you just can't help but tell people? You can't help but share your faith. You can't help but give money to the church so that the church grows and reaches more people for Christ. Are you letting the mission just pass you by just, you know, ever so often? Now, oh, when I feel like it, when I can crawl out of bed, I guess I'll show up on Sunday, and if I got an extra dollar or two, but I mean, I'm not gonna step out and share my faith with my coworkers, or I'm not gonna give anything to the church to see the church grow. I, I just kinda wanna be a part of this thing. Don't let the mission of God pass you by. 
Don't waste your life. Don't waste your life. I'll close with this. Don't get hung up on the signs. See what the signs are pointing to. They're pointing to Christ. Lift your eyes to Jesus and see that he has purpose and direction for your life right now. What your heart really wants is to be on mission with Jesus. Jesus' mission will go forward, and it's what your heart really wants. Let me pray. Father, I know I'm prone to be like Simon. There's a lot of things that I get to enjoy by being a pastor. Father, I pray that I would love you more than I love those benefits. I pray that I would love you more than the position. I pray that I would love you more than the office, more than the pats on the back, more than people sitting under my teaching. I pray that I'd love you more. I pray that I'd value you more. I pray that my life would say and show that you're the greatest treasure, that there's greater value and worth in you than any praise, than any pat on the back, than any amount of money I could ever get. You're more valuable than that. So, Father, I pray that the people in this church would be um, a, a people who love you, who lift their eyes to you. They, they wouldn't just hear the band play, but they would lift their eyes and hearts to you. Uh, I pray that they wouldn't just hear the sermon, but their hearts and eyes would be lifted to you. Father, I pray that by your grace, the mission would not pass us by, but we would get on mission of sharing this great news with our coworkers, with our friends, with our spouse, with everyone around us, that we would see God's people united on God's mission. The good news is, Jesus, is that you've come and done that for us. You have come and been the greatest missionary and in your legacy and in your example, we can be on mission. That's what's so exciting. You've done it, now we can do it through your power. So I pray for that power. I ask you for it. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen.